Jesus would refer to his death as a baptism. And in one of the texts in the New Testament, he states that he is in distress until that baptism take place. And that baptism that he was referencing was his death. And as we study what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be baptized as we follow the Lord, we must understand that our baptism identifies us with that death of Christ, that baptism of Christ. And in Second Peter, Peter will state that the ark carried eight people safely through the water, and that water was the judgment of God. And do you realize that you and I were safely brought through the judgment of God in Christ as he underwent his baptism? And think of the imagery in the Old Testament when God redeemed the nation of Israel and then brought them through the Red Sea. And the New Testament will reference that this bringing through the Red Sea was a baptism. They were baptized into Moses. And because of their identity with Moses, they were led through the Red Sea. But once they were led through the Red Sea, the Red Sea, the same water that they were brought through, collapsed on the Egyptians and swallowed all of them up in the judgment of God. And as you consider that baptism is not only a picture of the death, but it's a picture of the burial, and it's a picture of the resurrection of Christ. Do you realize that Christ himself was brought through the judgment of God? He suffered the judgment but he rose from the dead, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest illustration that God accepted the work that he did, and he did it for us. And when we identify with Christ in baptism, we are identifying with the baptism that he underwent and he came through. The first week of June, we are going to be having a baptism. Keith and Olivia are going to be baptized. They're going to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And if you are here today and you have not followed the Lord in believer's baptism, I invite you to participate in that. You need to in obedience to the Lord. For he has commanded us that we are to make disciples of all the nations. That is my responsibility as a pastor. That is your responsibility as a Christian. It is for us all. It's a commission he gave all of his people. And so I trust that as we continue to study this concept of baptism, that your heart will be moved. We've already looked in the New Testament and discovered that there are 20 references to the noun baptism and there are 71 references to the verb. And we have already looked at texts that identify individuals named who were baptized. Others were told about, were not given their name, but they were baptized as individuals. 
And an account in the book of Acts is given. And we've discovered already in this study that baptism is preceded by the calling of God, the preaching of the gospel, and the repentance and faith in the lives of people. For the book says that he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved is condemned. Peter would say to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And today I'm going to be preaching on the seven references in the New Testament to the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Many times in Acts, the book would say that those who had received his word were baptized. In one chapter, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And Philip had just read to him Isaiah chapter 53, preaching the gospel to him, preaching Christ trial, Christ's death, Christ's burial, Christ's resurrection. Christ is the righteous one. Christ is the one who will save his people because he's a sin offering. That's all in Isaiah chapter 53. And that was the message that that eunuch heard. And, Paul, and Philip said, listen, if you believe, you may be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And so he was baptized. And you will find that they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and in the commission the Lord gave us, baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, baptism is a picture that we have identified with God. God is our Father. Christ is our Savior. And the Spirit is our Sanctifier. We have become a part of the people of God. And so there was, in, in all these references to the noun and the verb in the New Testament, you will discover that there are passages that speak of literal water. And then there are other passages where water is not used, but the concept of being overwhelmed, dipped, immersed in something is given such as the death of Jesus. It was a baptism. And what we are going to speak about today is one of those images, but, but it is an image that, that communicates the believer being overwhelmed or baptized in the Spirit of God. And what does that mean? What does that mean? We've seen all these households. We looked at all those texts the last time we were together on this subject. We looked at every single household in the New Testament that was baptized. And we discovered it was always believer's baptism. And so we come today to the subject of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that there are only seven references in the entire New Testament to tell us what this baptism with the Holy Spirit is all about. 
four of those seven references are going to come from the gospel accounts that are sharing from John the Baptist. And the first of them is found in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. I baptize you with, with water. Now notice John the Baptist is baptizing with water. Literally in the Greek, he is baptizing in water. And he does it for repentance. But John would continue to preach, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you. Who's the baptizer? He is. So we're going to discover, as we look at all of these references, that there is one who does the baptizing. There are those who are being baptized. And then there is an element with or in which this baptism takes place. And in some of those texts, we're told what the purpose is. John's baptism was in water for repentance. And so the baptizer is Jesus. He is the one that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he'll burn with unquenchable fire. The Lord is going to baptize two different groups of people. You will either be a part of that company that has been baptized in the Holy Spirit, or you will be a part of that company that will suffer the wrath of God and will burn with unquenchable fire. And Christ is the one that will either immerse you in the Spirit or immerse you in judgment. You will either be brought safely through the judgment of God or you will be judged forever. The second reference to the expression, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, is found in Mark's Gospel. And once again, it is repeating the message of John the Baptist. Mark 1, 5 through 8, And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in what? In the Jordan River. They were being baptized in the water, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. I don't think I would have ever survived. And he was preaching, and he was saying, after me, one is coming, and he is mightier than I. I'm not even fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with or in water, but he will baptize you. Who's the baptizer? Jesus. And what is he going to baptize them in or with? The Holy Spirit. 
There is going to be something that takes place. John says, I am here. You're confessing your sin. You're repenting of your sin. And I am going to place you in water. You are going to be overwhelmed by water. But there is someone coming. He's mightier than I am. I can't even untie his sandal. But he is going to immerse you. Not in water. But in the Spirit. The third reference is also found in the next gospel. And once again, it is the preaching of John recorded in the Luke's account in chapter 3. And John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with what? Water. But one is coming who's mightier than I am. I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So once again, we see that the Spirit of God will overwhelm, and it is compared to a baptism. John's in water, Christ in the Spirit. And his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so, with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the preacher, to the people. No greater, no greater reason to preach the gospel of God than the unquenchable fire to come. Do you long that your family members and your neighbors would know the gospel of God and be rescued from this unquenchable fire? Announce to them the person in the work of Christ. Announce to them there is a Savior who satisfies the justice of God. A Savior who will remove their sin, will take it away so that they can stand complete in Him before God the Father, justified, declared righteous, living eternally in the presence of God, made a part of His people. There's a reason we want to preach the gospel. And my friend, you ought to be preaching the gospel. You ought to be bringing the gospel of God to people every single week. You say, well, Bill, I don't talk well. Take these gospel tracts. It is so easy in the city to distribute the message of the gospel. We've got beautiful literature. Take it. Take it by thy handfuls. Distribute it. Share with people the gospel of God. For to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus is to evangelize. He has told us to go. And then to baptize those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. And how will they hear? Without our preaching and our testifying. If you are not actively sharing the gospel, then my dear friend, repent of your disobedience to God. And begin to announce it and to share it for the glory of God. The fourth reference in the Bible, excuse me, to the baptism in the Spirit of God is found in John's Gospel. And once again, it comes from the preaching of John the Baptist. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who expiates the sin of the world. He takes it away, pictured in Yom Kippur by the scapegoat. That's who he is. He's the Lamb of God. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Who was born first, John the Baptist or Jesus? Who was born first? One or the other. It was John the Baptist. 
And yet John would say, this one existed before me. Why? Because he's the eternal son. He was the one who had the glory of the Father before the world ever was. Can you imagine sharing the glory of the Father and the glory of the Spirit and yet willing to humble himself and leave all of that and come down here? Oh, John knew who he was, the one who existed before him. I didn't recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Who's the baptizer? Jesus. And he baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Here's the one coming that is going to overwhelm you with the Spirit of the living God. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. If you've never noticed before, you ought to take note in the baptismal account of Jesus. You have the Father opening up heaven and saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then you find the Spirit of God descending on Christ. Do you know how important those two events are in those chapters? You will never understand that until you go back to Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 42 and 49. The nation of Israel is going into captivity because they cannot keep the covenant. They are disobedient. They are unrighteous. And because of that, they're going to be removed from the land. And as the first ten tribes are being hauled into captivity, Isaiah 42 opens with the Father speaking from heaven and saying, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And you read the chapter and you find the Spirit of God a few verses later. And what is so significant in that chapter 42 and chapter 49 is that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is said to be the covenant for us. Can you keep the old covenant demands? Can you keep the ten words? Do you have the obedience that it takes to live in the Father's house forever? And the answer to that question is no. We need someone who can keep the covenant for us. The one who said to be a covenant for the people. Oh, those are significant chapters in the baptismal account of Christ. The very fifth reference. We're now out of the Gospels and now we're into the book of Acts. And in chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, gathering them together, and this is Jesus speaking now. John would speak in the first four references. Jesus speaks in the fifth. And he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. So the Lord had been promising what the Father promised. I want you to know what the Father's promise. You've heard this over and over from me. For John baptized with water, or literally the Greek says in water. But you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, while this text does not list Jesus as the baptizer, we've already learned who the baptizer is, right? It's Jesus he is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Literally, he's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. 
not many days from now. What was going to happen a few days from now? He was going to ascend, and then after his ascension, what festival was going to take place? Pentecost. Pentecost. And Jewish people from all over the globe had already descended on the city of Jerusalem for Passover. And some of them came as far away as from Rome. Do you think in 50 days they're going to turn around and go back to Rome only to come back for Pentecost? And the answer to that question is no. So for 50 days, these pilgrims, these men from all over the world were gathering in the city of Jerusalem from different countries, speaking different languages with different dialects. And yet the promise of Jesus is that the Father is going to send the Spirit of God. How many times in his preaching did Jesus reference that the Spirit of God would come? that He would be sent of the Father, and that He Himself would send the Spirit. Only to be reminded of a prophecy in Joel chapter 2, that it will come about after this, that I'll pour out my, I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. The promise of the prophet Joel is that that God himself would pour out his spirit. And the result would be incredible manifestations of his presence. You know, as you study the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, there are only 80 references in the entire Old Testament to the Spirit of the living God. But you come to the New Testament that is a third the size of the Old Testament, and there are three times the number of references to the Spirit of God in the New Testament than there is in the Old. And if you consider the ones on whom the Spirit of God fell with power in the Old Testament, you'll discover something. The anointing of the Spirit of God would come down on prophets. The Spirit of God would come down on priests. The Spirit of God would come down on kings. And the Spirit of God would come down on judges. And then the text is very specific in telling us that the Spirit of God would come on Bezalel, the one whom God used to design the tabernacle, the picture of dwelling with God that takes the person and the work of Christ. And if you consider all of those things, you discover that the Spirit of God was coming down on individuals that would um, picture the coming of the perfect prophet, priest, king, and judge, the Lord Jesus. And if you will continue to study the, 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 the Spirit of God throughout the Bible, you will discover that He has a passion. The Spirit of God does not have a passion to make Himself known. The Spirit of God has a passion to make Christ known. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time? Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, no, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed in his own authority. But look at verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what will be the manifestation of that spirit power coming down on you? You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. For the passion of the Spirit of God is to make Christ known. And if you read carefully through the book of Acts, you will discover that every time someone is said to be filled with the Spirit of God in the book of Acts, they're always doing something. You know what it is? Does anyone know what it is? Preaching. They're preaching Christ. They're sharing Christ. You know where you're going to get the power to boldly hand out a gospel tract and tell someone about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? From the Spirit of the living God. So the problem is that you can't do it. That, that's not the problem. The problem is you're not filled or controlled by the Spirit of the living God. And I dare say that if you would begin your day by saying, Spirit of the living God, I need your help today. I want to testify of Christ today. Will you bring my path across someone that needs to hear the gospel? I guarantee you he will. You'll have more conversations than you could ever imagine if you just yield to the Spirit who overwhelms you. The sixth reference is also found in the book of Acts, and it comes from the lips of Peter. So John the Baptist has spoken about this. Jesus has spoken about this. And Peter is speaking about this as well in Acts 11. And he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And they, upon us at the beginning is a reference to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. This chapter is dealing with Gentiles. Next week, Lord willing, I'm going to preach on the four unique receptions of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Every single one of them is unique. But Peter is referencing what happened to the Gentiles. The Spirit fell upon them as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say. Note it says he used to say. Not on one occasion, but multiple times, Peter began to remember what Jesus had said. John baptized with water. He dipped you into water. But there is a baptizer that is greater than John, that existed before John, the one that none of us are worthy. He will baptize and immerse you in the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift, that is the gift of God's Spirit, the same equal gift given to the Gentiles. And we'll see next week how significant that text is. As he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down. Can you imagine the Jewish apostles there in Jerusalem being all irate that Gentile people received the gift of the Spirit of God, and it was manifested by the languages that God, the Spirit of God gave through them on that day? That can't possibly be so. They're the uncircumcised. When they heard this, they quieted down, and they glorified God, saying, Well then, isn't it good to just come to the place in our life where we can just say, God's way, well then. We ought to live that way. When we see the way of God and the will of God, we ought to just say, well, well then, let's, let's just do it. You know, even when it comes to making disciples, what, well then, uh, let, let's do it. We've got the marching orders. We're going to stand before our king someday very soon. We'll have to answer whether or not we had the same passion that the Spirit of God which was to make Christ known. 
Do you have that passion? If you'd yield to the Spirit of God, you would. The problem isn't that, isn't that you don't have the Holy Spirit. The problem is the Holy Spirit doesn't have you. God's granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. There's one more reference, and it comes from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses, verse 13. And as you look at the context of this chapter, you discover it begins with the way the Spirit of God works through his people to affect the world. The evidences of the manifestation of the Spirit of God. And in these chapters, you're going to discover the gifts that the Spirit of God gives to believing people. These gifts that are all manifestations of the ministry of Christ. These gifts that are given by the Spirit of God to the members of the body of Christ. Christ isn't here, but we are. We are his body. You don't see me. You see my body. I am a spirit. I live in my body. And someday, should the Lord not return in my lifetime, my spirit will leave my body, and all you'll see is the tent I lived in. But you do see a body. And the only body of Christ that people see is us. And so the Spirit of God is going to give us a gift that manifests Christ. And as all of us are exercising our gifts collectively, people are going to see more and more who Jesus is. And it is the role of the Spirit of God to give each one of us a gift. You have a gift. If you've been immersed in the Spirit of God by Jesus the Christ, you have a gift. If you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you have a gift. But Paul writes, For in one Spirit. You say, Bill, why did you do that? It says, by in your translation. I'll come back to that. For in one spirit we were all. How many of us? We were baptized. That's in the passive tense. This text does not say the Holy Spirit baptized us. It could have. This verse could have made the Holy Spirit the baptizer. But the text doesn't. It passively reflects that we were baptized and the same expression in the Spirit is found in all seven of these texts. We were immersed in the Holy Spirit. All of us. And the one who did the baptizing was Christ. And when we were immersed by Christ in the Spirit, it was unto and into one body. And that is why in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he is going to talk about the body of Christ and the work of God's Spirit in the body and how he gifts us. Now on the day of Pentecost, and we will see next week as we look at the four unique receptions of the Spirit of God, the immediate manifestation of God's Spirit on the day of Pentecost was a particular gift. Do you know what that gift was? Languages. And we're going to see that. 
languages. And everyone there heard the gospel in their own language. And not only in their own language, but it was in the language and the dialect that they were born with. Can you imagine that? The ability to speak a foreign language you never learned. And then the ability to people hear in their own language is one of the manifestations of the Spirit of God. And we'll look at all the references to language and this particular gift in the book of Acts and even in these chapters, 12, 13, and 14. But not everyone on the day of Pentecost spoke in different languages. Not recorded that they did. Now, as we look at the four unique, we're going to find other individuals and other groups of people speaking in these foreign languages. But not everyone that got saved or baptized in the book of Esther was said, said to speak in foreign languages. Matter of fact, we looked at all the household baptism texts the last time we were together, and not a single reference in any of those texts that they spoke in the gift of language. And when you come to the gifts of the Spirit of God, you're going to discover that the Bible says not all of us have that gift. Very specific. But that was how the Spirit of God manifested Himself on the day of Pentecost. And what a miracle it was. And He's going to do it again in these four unique receptions of the Spirit of the living God. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 33, speaking of our Lord and Savior... The text says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. In addition to languages on Pentecost, what else was heard? There was sight and sound, the sound as a rushing mighty wind, and flames like fire. But this spirit was poured out by Christ. He exalted to the right hand of God, fulfilling the prophecy of Joel chapter 2, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, not just on prophets and priests and judges and kings and, and manufacturers of the temple. You don't read in the Old Testament that all the saints of God had this overwhelming power of the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit of God is the only one that regenerates. You read that in the text. Do you realize we're living in the age of the Spirit of God? Has that comprehended? You comprehended that yet? Jesus is not here. But Spirit of the living God, you are with us this, this afternoon in this room. The Spirit of God is here. This is the age of the Spirit. And He has a purpose in this age. And it is to make Christ known. That is his passion. And the call of God on us is to hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches in his word. He's the author of the Bible. And the call of the, of the word of God on our lives is that we would be filled with the Spirit. And he tells us that after he says, don't be filled with the spirits or you'll get drunk. You drink too much of that stuff and it's going to make you drunk. He said, 
Stop being filled with that spirit, but be filled with what? The Spirit of God. Have you ever seen anybody that's drunk? Isn't it true that that alcohol controls them? Yes or no? Sure it does. And so the call of God is that you and I would be filled with the Spirit of God, controlled by the Spirit of God. Are we controlled by the Spirit of God, really? Do we live our lives as if we're controlled by the Spirit of God? That is why some of the texts say, walk with the Spirit. I mean, do you have conversations with the Spirit of the living God? You ought to. He is with you. Matter of fact, He lives in you. Matter of fact, our body is said to be His temple. He is dwelling within us. That's one of the reasons why we're not supposed to fornicate. Is because the Spirit of God indwells us. And we're to walk through life with Him. And we're supposed to stop resisting Him. Have you ever resisted the Spirit of God? I have. I have sinned deliberately sometimes. But I will say this to you, that when I stop and I ask the Spirit of God to please help me, without fail, the power of that temptation is broken. It's gone. Have you experienced that? That you are able to resist your disobedience, not through your own power, but through the power of the Spirit. Do you understand that when you look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and his humanity, that the Bible says that he was conceived in the womb by the Spirit of God and brought to birth? And that the Spirit of God came on him at his baptism, but that the text says that it was the Spirit of God that led him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And there in the wilderness, he took the book that was penned by the Holy Spirit of God, and he resisted, he resisted the enemy. And then the book says he came back from the wilderness in his ministry through the power of God's Spirit. And then the text is very careful in telling us that his miracles he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I thought he could do them through his own power. He's showing us something in his humanity. He's showing us that he was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. And then the text says that he offered himself without spot to God on Calvary through the power of the Spirit. And then the text tells us that not only was he raised from the dead by the Father and by his own power, but he was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit. And after that great justifying work for his people during those last 40 days on earth, it says that he Preach the kingdom of God through the power of the Spirit. If our Lord Jesus Christ was so dependent on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, ought we to be too? We need to stop resisting Him. We need to stop quenching Him. And we need to start walking with Him. And if we do, you will begin to discover his presence and his power in your life. You will begin to comprehend the overwhelming presence of the Spirit and what the Lord Jesus did for us when he poured out the Spirit according to the promise of God, empowering his people. Oh, my friends, I believe in the baptism of the Spirit of a God. And I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the baptizer. And he has immersed me into the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is to be the one I walk with, who controls me, that I listen to, whom I'm stopped, I must stop quenching and resisting. And he's the one that's going to empower me to do ministry. This is the age of the Spirit. And when I was baptized in him and put into the body, he gave me gifts. Does anybody think they might know one of the gifts the Spirit of God has given me? What do you think it might be? 
leadership, and give me another one. Teaching. Teaching. Listen, when I went to college, I stood in a freshman speech class as a sophomore. That wasn't embarrassing enough. I couldn't talk to people. Couldn't do it. I'd get up in front of people and I'd shake. And I'd sweat. And I'd lose my mind. You say, no, you lost your mind a long time ago. Now we know what's the problem. But I'll tell you what. I have discovered that the calling of God on my life is to preach and teach. I didn't decide that. The Spirit of the living God did. As I was positioned into the body. That is what the book says about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. All seven of those texts use the same expression in the Spirit. A little Greek word en found in all of them. And while John's baptism was in water into repentance, Jesus, when he baptized, overwhelms us with the Spirit into his body. It's beautiful. Let us acknowledge the presence of the Spirit of God. And let us acknowledge the power of the Spirit of God. Will you allow him to overwhelm you? And then manifest to the body the gift he's given you? I hope you will. For the glory of God. Let's pray together.